like to invite you to join me by opening your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 6 through 15. Colossians 2, verses 6 through 15. I'd also like you to keep your Bibles open tonight as, as we can go through our message. Colossians 2, verses 6 through 15. Hear now the word of the Lord. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them and him. That's the reading of God's word. May he bless it to us. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, teach us your way, O Lord, that we might walk in your truth. Unite our hearts to fear your name. Help us to give you thanks with all our hearts as we seek to glorify your name forever. Please be with us now as we seek to understand this word that you have given us by your Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul, and we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we come to our passage this evening, it's amazing to think of all of the messages that we are bombarded with in a day, Uh, the means by which the various voices of this world speaks to us. In an article by Rebecca Moody from June of this year, it says that the average American now spends seven hours and 11 minutes per day looking at a screen. This includes two hours and 25 minutes of scrolling through social media, an hour and a half of streaming music, and 54 minutes of listening to your favorite podcasts. That's a lot of other people speaking into the things that we should desire, the causes that we should support, the way that we should engage the world around us, and what we should place our hope in. Everyone is an expert these days. Just ask them. How are we to filter out all of these competing voices that we are barraged with day after day after day? The world is constantly trying to take believers captive by philosophy and empty deceit, as Paul has a word for, and Paul has a word for us this evening. He's going to provide a rubric of sorts. Tonight we are going to see that because Christ has saved us, we can face the broken philosophies of this world. And to do this, we're going to be looking at three things. First, we're going to be looking at the command to walk in Him. Second, we're going to look at the concern of competing voices. And third, we're going to be looking at the call to Christ. So the command to walk in Him, the concern of competing voices, and third, the call to Christ. So with that, let's get started by first taking a look at the command to walk in him. 
So as we look at our passage this evening, we see that Paul is encouraging these believers in Colossae to stand firm in Christ Jesus the Lord here in verses 6 and 7. He commands us to walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now this raises the question, what have they been taught? Well, earlier in this letter, Paul tells us that Epaphras, whom Paul calls a faithful minister of Christ, has been teaching these brothers and sisters and has brought them the gospel. Paul has also spoken to them about the preeminence of Christ in chapter 1. They know that Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, that all things were created by him and through him, that he is before all things and in him all things hold together, that he is the head of his body, the church, that, that he is the firstborn from the dead, that in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Through him God has reconciled all things to himself, making peace by the blood of his cross, and in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This is what Paul is commanding these believers to walk in, and these are the truths that, that you and I get to walk in today. But what does this walking in Christ look like? Well, as we continue in these verses, we see that it looks like three things. First, it looks like being rooted in him. Second, it looks like being built up in him and established in the faith as they were taught. And third, it looks like abounding in thanksgiving, showing what our union with Christ is to look like. So the first metaphor, being rooted in Christ, conveys the idea of a strong tree with deep roots implanted in the ground, making it immovable. The second metaphor, being built up in Christ, is that of a house being built on a firm foundation. In, in, in this case, the faith that they were taught by, by Epaphras, that is the gospel. Jesus himself uses a metaphor much like this elsewhere in Luke 6 and Matthew 7, where, where he talks about the house that the wide, wise man builds on the solid rock. When the floods come, the house stands strong. But when, when, that, same, when that fool builds a house on sand, those same floodwaters come, his, his house is sure to fall. The picture, again, is one of immovability and strength. And lastly, we see that when the believer truly understands the severity of his or her sin before a holy God, when, when they truly grasp that and see who Christ is and, and all that he has accomplished for them in spite of it, the result will be abounding thanksgiving. Calvin, concerning this notion of abounding, points out Paul would not have these Colossians simply remain immovable, but would have them grow every day more and more. And the thing these believers are to continue growing in is thanksgiving because they know that this faith is not of themselves, but it is a gift to be received with fear and trembling. It's as Douglas Moose says in his commentary, let Christ and no other, for he is the Lord, establish your values, guide your thinking, and direct your conduct. So where do you find yourself this evening, Harvest? Do you find yourselves walking in this Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has accomplished as revealed in God's word? Are you living in total disbelief? Or are you giving intellectual assent to a Jesus of your own making, one who, who plays nice with the philosophies of this world? And this brings us to our second point this evening, the concern of competing voices. And this is exactly what we see in our passage this evening as we come to verse 8. Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. 
Here, Paul presents us with the second command that we see in our passage. See to it that no one takes you captive. There are competing worldviews in Colossae at this time, each vying for the attention of these brothers and sisters. In chapter 2, verse 4, Paul gives us the reason for why he is proclaiming Christ to them when he says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. You see, in Colossae at this time, there was rampant false teaching. While Paul doesn't necessarily call out a particular group, as he does in places such as Galatians, we do see that these Christians were facing questions of food and drink, festivals, new moons, and Sabbaths, that is, uh, the old things that pointed to Christ in Judaism. They are facing asceticism, a a severe self-denial, and self-discipline. They're facing angel worship. Uh, They're facing those who believe in visions, and and they're facing those who have fallen away from from the head of the church, that is, Jesus Christ, as we see later in chapter 2. These Colossian Christians are being targeted in the marketplace of ideas by these philosophies, and Paul is commanding them to be on guard. And what do we know about these philosophies and empty deceits? Well, first, that they are according to human tradition. Second, that they are according to the elemental spirits of the world. And third, they are not according to Christ. Paul is not flat out saying that engaging in philosophy is wrong, but as Calvin says, he means everything that men contrive of themselves when wishing to be wise through means of their own understanding. And we see this when we see that this philosophy and empty deceit is according to human tradition. This is either to put one's trust and hope in the ideas of men or, or to corrupt a true worship of Christ in a way that is contrary to his revealed word. This is offering that strange fire that we heard Pastor Dale talk about in Leviticus chapter 10 with Nadab and Abihu, that is to worship God in a manner that he has not directed us to do so in Scripture. And we also see that this philosophy and empty deceit is according to the elemental spirits of this world. Al-Mu points out in his commentary that these elemental spirits are a bit of a mystery to us today, but, but he gives three ideas of, of what they mean. They may be referring to the basic elements which make up all matter, that is, you know, the stuff that makes up the things of this world, or they're the essential principles of a particular area of study, or it can be referring to spiritual beings. And it seems like scholars more support the spiritual being uh, due to the mention of, of rulers and authorities, as we see in verse 15. Either way, Paul is telling these believers not to go there. William Hendrickson, William Hendrickson says it this way. He goes, it's empty and futile. It's deceptive. For while it promises big things to those who obey its ordinances, it cannot redeem its promises. And the reason why these are empty deceit and a false philosophy is stated at the end of the verse. They're not according to Christ. Paul is exhorting these Colossians not to be taken, <coughs> excuse me, not to be taken up with the false things of this world, but to trust in the apostolic message that they have received from Epaphras and himself, because that is where salvation truly lies. So Paul is likening the philosophies uh, of the world to those phony publishers' clearinghouse checks. You know, when you were a little kid and you opened that junk mail, you saw all those zeros, you know, you were buying video games, you were getting that pony, you were going to Disneyland, buying your parents that new house, but you found out very quickly that it was junk and you couldn't take it to the bank. Now, as we think about the position of our Colossian brothers and sisters, what philosophy and empty deceit are striving for attention in your life today. 
We buy into the philosophies in this world when, when we look for comfort in our possessions, when we seek to understand creation apart from the Creator, when we attempt to redefine marriage and gender apart from the Word of God, or when we build somebody up or put somebody down because of the color of their skin. Whatever the case may be, if the position of these philosophies are ones that are not according to Christ, it's empty, and Paul commands you not to be taken in by it. So, up until this point this evening, we've looked at Paul's command to walk in Christ and the many ways by which the world tries to pull us away from that walk. And this brings us to our final point this evening, the call to Christ. So it follows that if the philosophy and empty deceit flows from human tradition and the elemental spirits of this world, I, that is to say that you know, the, the things that are not according to Christ, that Christ is the answer, right? And this is exactly what we see in verses 9 through 15 this evening. Why does human tradition and these elemental spirits fall short? Because as we read in verse 9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. In Christ is perfection, as Calvin puts it, to which nothing can be added. Jesus Christ is the incarnate, uh, is, the, is God incarnate, and as such, he, God is wholly found in him. Therefore, if someone wants more than him, they are seeking something greater than God. And that's a problem. As we continue, we read in verse 10, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. That is to say, as believers, we are ultimately made perfect in Christ, who is over and above any other power or authority this world has ever known and will ever know. Christians have no need to fear because they are filled in Christ and everything else is laid subject to him. Now, combating life under the old covenant, we see that Christ also provides us with a better circumcision in verse 11, where we read, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. If we look at, uh, to, to Genesis 17, we see that the covenant sign of circumcision was given to Abraham in the males of his household, including Ishmael. Yet Ishmael was not a part of the covenant community. That is, he, he received the covenant sign without living under the covenant. Whereas one could be made a part of the covenant community outwardly by this circumcision made with hands, it was possible that they didn't belong to it spiritually. Christ's circumcision, though, on the other hand, is better because it's one that cannot fail because it's spiritual and it can be administered to any believer, either male or female. It goes on in verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. This is not to say that baptism is regenerative, that, that the act itself brings about spiritual life, but, but that those united with Christ experience this circumcision of the heart, this efficacious spiritual circumcision, and are brought into union with Christ by the working of the Holy Spirit. The sacrament of baptism is a sign and seal of the inner working of the Holy Spirit. And having been united with Christ in this way, we, we are raised with him through faith. This is the working of the same God that raised Jesus from the dead. The Holy Spirit works this faith in us. Therefore, it's not the act of circumcision or baptism or our free choice, but it's the work of God that unites us with Christ and guarantees our eternal life with him forever. And we see this even more explicitly when we read verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the circumcision of your flesh, 
God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Friends, these Colossians brought absolutely nothing to the table in this transaction, this great exchange, as they call it, where Christ takes our sin and guilt upon himself and he clothes us in righteousness. That is to be, um, yeah, clothes us in his righteousness, just as we bring nothing to the table today. Um, It is all of God's grace. We were dead in our trespasses and the uncircumcision of our flesh. Dead people can't do anything. God makes us alive together with Christ, having forgiven all of our trespasses. This is good news, right? This, this is why we are here tonight. To continue our illustration before, this is that check that you can actually take to the bank because it's the real deal. Verse 14 continues by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The debt sinners owe is a legal one, and it's one that cannot be paid by the works of sinners. Therefore, no worldly wisdom, no ascetic practices, no festival attendances, or or whatever can ever pay the price that is needed. Our works just can't do it. The only way this debt can be paid is by the one who is fully God and fully man, Fully God in that he can bear the wrath of God and and rise again, conquering the grave. And fully man in that he can stand in our place as our our federal or covenantal head. The second and last Adam, as we read about in places such as Romans 5, verses 15 through 21, where we read, But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification, that is the declaration of righteousness and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Christ does this by being nailed to the cross. He he lives the perfect life that we could not live. He dies the death that we deserved. And this is how he disarms the rulers and authorities and puts them to open shame by triumphing over them. As we see in verse 15, none of the other things of this world hold a candle to Christ and, and, and his salvation because none of them can actually do anything. They can't save you. They are empty ideas and rituals. They are sound and fury, signifying nothing. So the question is, what do we do with all this today? I'm not here to tell you who to vote for or what causes to support. That's really none of my business, and it has no business coming from the pulpit. But do they come from an accurate understanding of Jesus and the gospel? There are so many competing voices in this world today, various news outlets, Social media, different websites, the list goes on. Everyone who has an opinion can just put it out there. As Jeff Mingy says in another recent article, 
Um, He says, scrolling shrivels your soul as it pulls it in a thousand different directions. It distracts you from the greatest object your soul could ever love and the most glorious truths your eyes and ears could ever behold. Don't let your soul get sucked into the vanity of an aimless scrolling wasteland where paths lead everywhere but never to a place of joy and rest. In a world that's so connected, it seems as though we are becoming more and more fragmented. In navigating all of the various voices of this world, our litmus test needs to be, does this line up with Christ Jesus the Lord as taught by the Word of God? So the next time someone tells you to champion this cause, come to this rally, adopt this worldview, ask yourself, is it rooted and built up in Christ and established in the faith as you were taught? Brothers and sisters, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. Now, maybe you're visiting with us for the first time this evening, and you have questions. If there's anything that we can do to help you in understanding this Jesus, feel free to either talk to myself or anyone here. We'd love to help you in any way that we can. But in today's sea of voices, turn to Christ dwell on all that he has accomplished, what that means for you, and trust in him, not the broken philosophies of this world. And let us abound in thanksgiving all the while. What we have in Christ is so much better than anything this world has to offer. May God grant it. Amen. Please pray with me. Gracious and heavenly Father, you are great and greatly to be praised. Your greatness is unsearchable. We praise you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, and his atoning work on the cross. We praise you for your word, and we praise you for the faithful brothers and sisters who have placed, that you have placed in our life uh, to, to share the truth of the gospel with us. Forgive us for being taken in by the empty philosophies of this fallen world. Forgive us for thinking we know better than you. Forgive us when we think that we need something more or different from you. By your Holy Spirit, please help us to weigh the competing voices of this world against the rubric of your Son, Jesus Christ, as he is presented in your word. Help us to put our faith completely in him and what he has accomplished. Help us to be all in regarding the gospel. Father, may we walk in Christ Jesus, the Lord, this coming week, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as we are taught, abounding in thanksgiving all the while. May we see to it that no one takes us captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for loving us while we were still your enemies. Help us to glorify you as we engage the world around us. We ask this all in Jesus' name by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. With that, I'd like to invite you to rise as we now sing of our great Redeemer, Jesus Christ, by singing our song of response, I will glory in my Redeemer.
Receive God's benediction from Romans chapter 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen.